This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third and final show on Dojo Live this week, this Thursday, November 3rd, 2022. My name is Kim Lantis, and it's my pleasure to be co-hosting along with America Guerrero today. Hey, Joe. Hey, Kim. Hi. Hey, yes. Guys. Hello, hello, Joe, our guest today, the guest of honor, the most important person, co-founder and CEO of Anexus Health, Joe Buffon. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, America. Great yeah. to be here with you. I love it. It's going to be a great conversation. I've already dived a bit into what it is that you're doing and a company with heart, if I don't say so myself. But before we get into the details of Anexus Health and how that applies to patient access, um, let's talk about you a bit, Joe. We'd like to get to know you, your story, your passion, your background, and all that's sort of led up to where you are today. Thank you. Sure. So first, thanks so much for the opportunity to, to tell the story, because my story isn't the important one, but the, the patient story that is woven through what I do and what our company does. So thanks so much for the opportunity. So personally, um, professionally, I spent a lot of time in pharma and life science in various different roles. I was blessed to be given the opportunity opportunity to do some really cool things in the oncology marketplace by individuals that I consider mentors and friends and ultimately folks that contribute valuably to my career and my purpose professionally. And those opportunities were to lead um, relationships with large healthcare companies, to run reimbursement teams, to lead payer teams. I had an opportunity to do a bunch of different things. My focus was primarily in the oncology space, which was another wonderful blessing because it's such a sophisticated, complex disease state. And there are a lot of components and variables that being in that space for so long informed my future, now my current as an operator. So ultimately, one of the biggest opportunities I received was having the opportunity to lead our relationships with the advocacy groups. And so a combination of my personal history um, with family members and their cancer journey and that experience of watching people contribute so much of their time and energy to patients and their journey in a disease state like oncology was moving. It was moving and it started to really form a purpose inside of me. And at, a, at the appropriate time in 2009, I stepped out of life science and became an operator with a great group of individuals, another company um, um, before Anexus Health. And we did some really cool things in the access space, really trying to improve how patients get access to the care they deserve in the oncology space. During that time, I met my co-founder, Brad Frazier, and that was another super significant moment because we started to come together around gaps and opportunities in the space. And we spent years working together at two separate companies where our companies were doing work together. And then personally, whiteboarding, discussing, hanging out and thinking and talking and writing down what ultimately today is a Nexus Health. So 
the professional journey was one of many blessings and many opportunities that I probably shouldn't have received if it wasn't for really cool people willing to take a chance on me. And then the other big moment was the the opportunity to really collaborate and work together with my friend and co-founder, Brad Frazier. That's beautiful. I think you're throwing out a lot of really key words there that might not come to someone's mind when they first think of oncology, right? You're talking about blessings, relationships, um, opportunity, right? <laughs> um, and so I think I love already the message, I think, of hopefulness um, that you're presenting. So let's talk a bit more about Anexus Health and what this patient access journey is. Who are you? What do you do? And what exactly is the problem you're solving? Yeah, so Anexus Health, let me tell you what we want to be um, in future state. What we want to be is the enterprise platform, the fourth enterprise platform that sits alongside the other three. So the three main enterprise platforms at provider organizations is the EHR, it's the revenue cycle management system, and it's the pharmacy dispensing software. They all have different purposes, but the purposes aren't to handle the administrative and logistical burden or items of the patient's care journey. So ultimately, provider organizations who are key, key to the patient journey. Ultimately, as an organization, we believe that if you're not provider-centric, then you're not gonna be patient-focused. So at Anexus Health, we've decided to build out that enterprise platform that is that handles all administrative and logistical responsibilities to the patient's care journey. And we've, I say all, but we've identified some specific areas. Right now we're focused on access services. So our current state gives provider organizations the ability to manage start to finish access services. So whether it be copay, whether it be a reimbursement services, whether it be free drug, when we say start to finish, it's the entire cycle. It's not just finding what's available specific to that patient's needs, it's managing and tracking and analyzing. So ultimately the services that are available, the funding that's available is utilized wholly and completely. What wow. we do differently, very differently though, is we do it in a provider centric way. So we comprehensively give provider organizations the ability to manage everything, start to finish, every single assistance and access service option in, it started in oncology, now in 14 total disease states can be managed comprehensively wow. instead of having going out to all different portals and using the spreadsheet and using the post-it notes and nothing, right? Nothing at all. So a lot of times it's just by memory and that's why the space before has been managed so ineffectively. Yeah, and I think it makes a lot of sense because if you focus on the provider, I mean, logic tells me then by default, the provider can better focus on what it is that they're trying to do, and that's the patient, right? And I think also even when somebody is in an administrative role and the burdens and the headaches and the bad mood, right, that it can put us in can then just be sort of transmitted to people who really need, I think, empathetic patients and loving individuals um, who are, are helping them through their own extremely stressful uh, journey with, with cancer or other health issues. It's, it's, it's true. fantastic. And one of the things that's really interesting to our journey as a technology company is the people that are passionate, like we are, about making a difference in the lives of patients. And, and that's why I'm here. 
That's why the folks that work at Anexus Health are here. We're passionate about making a difference, a significant difference in the lives of patients. But ultimately, the folks in the provider organizations that are responsible for helping these patients, they don't have the tools. They don't have the time. So ultimately, the other thing that we do as an organization is we provide services. So our Empower division, our services division, ultimately can do all or some of the work that our technology does around managing access services. Very cool. And I think with that, it's a really good transition into the topic of conversation, the specific topic of conversation that we chosen today, which is digital connectivity at and the patient access journey. How can healthcare provider organizations and life science companies leverage digital solutions at tech-enabled services to improve access, speed, and adherence to critical care for more patients? So please share with us, Joe, why do you think this topic is important for today's show? I think it's important because of what I stated that our mission is, right? Where we want to be comprehensive. We really want to make a difference with technology and our people. But ultimately, if we don't connect, if we don't work together, if we don't share data, if the systems don't share data, it's very difficult to do this work for the patient's journey and the access services, the wonderful access services that are available for, for patients. So ultimately, connectivity is key, right? Connection between a Nexus Health and our assist point technology to the EHR, to the rev cycle, to the in-office dispensing software is critically important to build efficiency, right? To compress workflow, to make sure that stuff isn't going across the wire or over the fence incomplete or wrong. And then therefore the service does not get to the place it needs to mm -hmm. be the patient so they get the care they deserve. So connectivity is so important to allow technology to do the work that is necessary to manage that patient's care journey. Can you maybe take us through that journey? I mean, you've been in the industry now, I think, for 20 years, right, more or less? Uh, a little more, so but we'll stick with 20. We'll, we'll stick with less. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Not that. We don't want to age anyone. No, I'm kidding. Um, are we still there? Did I freeze? No, you're here. You. Okay, yeah. I see Joe frozen. Maybe it's, I'm sorry. Um, so what I was wondering is if you could maybe give us a picture of, you know, 20 years ago, what this journey might have looked like, the clunkiness, or even what it still looks like today, and, and that role specifically of how technology is changing this journey. Like what might a traditional oncology office and their administrative administration look like versus what it's turning into with the help of the tech? So I, I, I'll get into that, but I'd love to tell a story first. So when we first kicked this off and we had our MVP, our minimum viable product, and we were working with some provider organizations and we were visiting and we were absorbing and consuming workflow and adding features to our software, we were working with financial counselors. We were working with social workers. We were working with farm tax. So as we're visiting their office, right, way before COVID, as we were building out the technology, we'd go into their workstations and sit with them and absorb, and, and I'll tell you what they were using. Ultimately, one day I knocked a post-it note off of the screen and it had all the details about the patient's copay award 
And I started there. I asked the question, so how is this bad? They were managing everything associated with a $25,000 copay award, which is significant, right? And it falls on the floor. And the person that I was working with at the time said, yeah, I can't tell you how many times these post-it notes get lost and I forget all about something that I found, ultimately a payer, right? In that case, for the patient. So that's just a, a an example of not just 20 years ago, if folks aren't working with organizations like us, that's kind of how it goes. The most sophisticated of practices have a spreadsheet that many different people are working in, right? So what's the data of truth in that scenario? Or they're using free text notes in the EHR, the rev cycle, the, you know, in other places, or they're not just, they're not tracking it at all or measuring it at all. So the, the, past state and, and a lot of times in the current state are just really good people just trying to build out the best manual fragmented disparate approaches to managing hundreds thousands actually in our in our application there are thousands of different assistance options how do you do that how do you do that without technology it's not done yes well. i have a question what is the average time of a patient to learn how to use this software and the reason why i'm asking is because my father he passed away 15 years ago i think and he had cancer at the mo when he knew that he had cancer one month later he passed away so there were no hours for him to learn how to use technology or how to mm -hmm. think about doing uh, papers or stuff like that, what is the average time or how is the user experience with, for patients by, with, when they are using it? What's the provider that's who's a, using it, I believe, right? Or is the yeah, patient involved as really, well? That's a really important question. So the, our approach in oncology, just like your experience with your father, right? There's just so much to deal with, right? The diagnosis itself, it's overwhelming. And then just the complexity of what has to go on for that patient to manage that patient's care journey. So the provider organization is the one that really truly needs to manage the process, manage the functionality around the access services, the copay assistance, the charitable foundation awards, the free drug. So our software and our people basically are interfacing with the provider. So it's the technology, system that providers are utilizing or our people are utilizing to manage on behalf of the patient. So really the patient, all they have to do in some cases is just sign consents. So it's pretty simple for the patients, but we make it as simple as possible for provider organizations as well. So the onboarding process is we have to build integrations with their existing software, depending on the software itself, it could take two to four weeks. And then each provider organization, depending on the size, the training and onboarding looks different, but we you know, typically get practices up and running after the integration in two to four weeks. Well, I wanted to talk about some of this um, accessibility, I guess, to resources that one, the patient probably has absolutely zero clue about and then the, at least at the initial stage of their journey, right? The providers maybe have limited, you mentioned hundreds or, or was it, did you say thousands of different, there's, you know, there's, we have resources. in our system and we're, we're in 14 different disease states. There's over 2000 assistance options in the, our content that we're managing real time mm -hmm. in the oncology space. I believe before we started the launch into other disease states, there was close to a thousand different assistance options. 
Wow. And so what does this, what has this looked like in terms of numbers of people getting the care that they need, um, even through the providers of even discovering that something like this exists? And then also, I guess, offloading the burden of how am I going to pay for this? Or what does this look like in terms of thanks for that treatment option, but I can't afford it? Yeah. So, um, man, that's a great question. I should get a patient count, but I do off the top of my head have what we're super proud of. $2.4 billion of assistance has been processed through our application. So with a B, a B, have been since 2018, the beginning of 2018, we started building the technology back in 2014, but we launched in earnest. Um, commercially in the beginning of 2018. So that's a lot of money that we've made available through our technology and our work for patients to get the care they deserve. And so you're basically you're saying what would have happened to that $2 billion worth of product resource and money had your technology not existed? It just wouldn't have been utilized. It would have just gone into a proverbial trash can. I think that, um, that's probably maybe the worst case scenario when the individual awards are basically approved, but it's a spectrum, right? In in a lot of case, in some cases, right? There's an award that is approved and it's never utilized because there's nothing there set up in the provider office to understand they have to bill against it and what have you. And then there's others that, you know, use some of it and forget, or there's, it's very inconsistent. So at worst, there is a significant amount of that funding that is not utilized at all, or it's really ineffective, or it's a burden, or maybe no one ever got to it because they just got so frustrated with the process and the time it took to get it. And I, and I can tell you, like, just a, an example um, that was shared with us a, a couple months ago where a person was going on care, they were told what that, their care was going to cost them. They said they couldn't afford it. They chose not to get the care and then decided the husband and wife came together and decided that they were going to sell their house so that they could get the cancer care they deserved. And ultimately they started, they started to list it with a real estate agent. And at that time, that provider organization was onboarding our software and the onboarding happened at just the right time. And the person working in that organization ultimately used assist point to find funding, immediately call that patient when it became available and they took their house off the market. So that's just a, you know, one really cool story that brings tears to my eyes, to be honest. It is actually really, really beautiful story. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. What does this look like also in terms, not just of the financial assistance that patients are receiving or that accessibility, but in terms of the actual, um, you know, curing and the medications, is this helping them be able to better adhere to what they need to get better? Or how does that, that look? That is, yeah, such a cool question. And it's the center of what we do, Kim. Um, so ultimately, we believe powerfully in access services, right? That, that was part of my prior life in pharma, right? So the copay assistance, the charitable foundation assistance, the reimbursement services, the navigate the payer landscape so that things are approved and that primary payer is actually paying what they're supposed to pay. Or when there's a situation where there aren't any options, there's free drug that's available. 
So ultimately, um, those things, and I'm sorry, I got so excited about that. What your your question was, what? <laughs> the the patient themselves and how they're better able to adhere to the care that they need oh, yeah. to, perhaps not skipping out on medications or not, you know, maybe I'm supposed to see my doctor every month, yeah. but I only go every other month or something of that sort. So ultimately, as an organization, we know those things have an impact, have an impact on care. And so when we started this, we decided we were going to invest heavily in the data, invest heavily in data science. And we have three pillars that we're measuring all the time. And it's, are the patients getting on intended care? So we're measuring pre and post. Are patients getting on therapy quicker? And are patients getting the therapy the way they intended? So we have really good, and maybe that's for another day, another podcast, where we have really good data maturing that is demonstrating we're making a significant impact in those three areas. And I believe in our healthcare system. I believe in life science and pharma, right? That's where I came from. And I believe these companies create life-saving medications and therapies to impact the patient. So if we're impacting those three pillars, I can't wait for us to get to that level where we're showing outcomes data beyond those three pillars that's impacting directly the care, right? Wow. Can you imagine the day I can say we're affecting these three pillars and then downstream we're doing outcome studies and saying, what did that, what difference did that make on survival? Uh, I can't wait for that. And yeah. do you have international presence? Not yet. Not We've yet. We've been but asked a lot about it. Right now we're trying to master the uh, U.S. market. I see. Well, I guess if you master many, the most challenging one well, from many the other start, disease. then you can master all the rest. <laughs> yeah. So the, so the next step in our world is, um, I, I mentioned other disease states. So we've mm -hmm. been heads down and my co-founder and I, Brad, um, we grew up in the oncology marketplace. So that's where we built this thing. And we felt because that was the most complicated, sophisticated disease state that other very complex, sophisticated disease states could benefit from our tooling and our people. And, and that's the case. And that's why we've launched into 14 different disease states now. And we have all the content complete. And it's also important because of the work we're doing now in health systems and institutions. And when you go health system institution, you need to be able to work across different disease states. That's fantastic. Let's talk about your journey in terms of, of data. Like, how do you go about or how is your technology able to sort of break through and find and invite different partners and different resources? Um, how, how, what does that look like for you? Is, there, is that man powered? Is that tech powered? How are you growing? So ultimately, we have wonderful strategic relationships in this space um, with healthcare organizations that ultimately understand our value and are promoting us to provider organizations. We have a sales and marketing team that's focused on that. And we have a wonderful word of mouth referral network, right? Because we're doing such amazing things. And ultimately in the oncology space, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but it's, it's still a buy and bill environment, right? For the medical side, the infused side. For patients that get oral chemotherapy, oral, oral therapeutics, a lot of provider organizations, most provider organizations now have their own dispensing pharmacy. So it's really important for them to be able to manage all of this. So when we're doing it really well, word of mouth is super important for us and as we grow. So as we grow, 
there's minimum requirements and minimum requirements are we're connecting to your EHR, your rev cycle system, your pharmacy dispensing software. So that's a requirement. Now I can tell you one of the coolest things that happened in the space in our journey was interoperability. Started as meaningful use way back in 2011, but interoperability, when it was announced, I believe in 2020, right? And we had a lot of stuff going on. So there's really not a whole lot of carrot and stick going on with the beginning of meaningful use around EHR. But I can tell you the federal government stance, no matter what we think about the federal government and how things have been, this is one of the most powerful things that they've done in healthcare. And it's breaking down walls for us. So when we go to these large EHR and these large revenue cycles that before wanted to put walls around their data because they saw value and they saw dollar signs, ultimately we have the federal government saying, nah, this is all patient care. This is all patient data, right? It's not your data. So we have to communicate. We have to share information through standard APIs. That has been groundbreaking for us. Like we don't have to fight those battles anymore. It's interesting, right? If you say the federal government says you got to do this, people listen because they talk to their lawyers, right? <laughs> no, I love that. And I think ultimately it comes to, you know, what, the, what you were talking about at the very beginning of the show, and that's connectivity and relationships. And I think that's right, right? I mean, if, if one organization or, or a care provider can and has learned something that can all unlock and make a difference for the lives of the patients in the in a different, you know, providers organization, that information I think should be shared in terms of, of course, protecting the individual's privacy rights and things like that. So that's fantastic. Very yes. cool. So you and your co-founder had this long journey. I think we can talk a bit more about the specifics of a Nexus Health uh, and the heart of your company. Um, let's let's talk to that in terms of. I think America was going to ask about. Yes, culture. We can perceive that there is a lot of passion in your company. And there are there values that you are encouraging inside of your company? Or is that just like a natural feeling that you perceive from your employees when they get there? Or how, what do you see? Yeah, so we have many values. And one of the things that we put at the top of our culture and people approach is bound by service. So if we want to collaborate, right? If we want to have fun, if we want to make a difference, right? Ultimately, I believe in Brad, my co-founder believes that service is at the center of it. And if I am here to serve patients, which is why I'm here, right? I want to generationally disrupt how the patient care journey is managed because I want better outcomes. I want better approaches. I want less stress than I had to go through when I was helping manage things for my mother, for my grandfather, for friends, watching what was going on in the stories when I was sitting in meetings with these advocacy groups. So I want to impact that. I want to generationally disrupt how this is done because it's been broken before a nexus health. So ultimately, you, you thank you. You guys feel the passion about this. And I think you know being passionate about this is important. It's in the center and you can feel it from the people that work with us. But I think that ultimately, as a startup and the pressure of it, it's so easy to get caught up in the day to day and forget that we're all here sometimes for that purpose. And if we keep refocusing on how do I serve the patient or how do I serve my teammate? How do I serve across functions? Because 
you know, we started as a really small company. We're still a small company, but we're around 200 employees and it looks a lot different than 15, right? You know, a few years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So ultimately it's so easy to get siloed and silos were gross to me. When, we, when Brad and I started a company, I was like, dude, if I ever hear the word silo in our company, I'm going to cry. And mm. so ultimately when stuff like this happens and you start to grow, you start to feel it. So I think we just always refocus ourselves back on serving one another, serving the patients, serving the market, serving our customers. So I think that's at the center of what we do. I think that's a really beautiful sentiment. It reminds me of something that I was told many years ago back in my university days um and it was it was about service and i think sometimes it's challenging and hard for us as individuals whether you know it's our pride or whatever it might be is to allow someone to serve us right and um i think sometimes we always feel like there has to be this outpouring of i need to serve but i think the reality is and this was the quote it says i will I will serve you by allowing you to serve me. And I think that that humility in that sense of, um, you know, being humble, I think is, is really important. And so it's when somebody extends that hand of service to us, we can serve them by, by accepting it. And I think that that's something that um, your patients and providers and the technology you know, can, can really lean on. That's so interesting. And I think about it from the patient stories that I've heard. One of the things that we battle in the space is perception, right? Mm -hmm. Or old habits. And often the workflow that exists around financial assistance and other access services yeah. is very proactive, or I'm sorry, very reactive, right? So it's until the patient comes and says, I can't afford this, or they're really upset, or they somebody hears the story about you know foreclosure or bankruptcy or putting their house up for sale, or a payment's not made. There's a patient responsibility that you know hasn't been um, you know uh, paid for. That's not the way to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes, if you are proactive and you have a conversation with a patient, immediately they are like, "Oh no, you can't do that for me. I should be able to figure it out myself." So we a lot of times are educating on the not just being proactive on the approach to being proactive. Yeah. And I love that. I'm going to use that with our folks, right? Just All talking right. to patients and saying. You know, just be open to let us serve you, right? Yeah. That, that's really cool. I love that. Yeah. Serve me by letting me serve you. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, it, it, it's a beautiful sentiment. And I think also what I hear that you're doing, your technology allows is that sense of accessibility, that empowerment of, I don't have to feel numb anymore. I'm imagining that the people who, you know, who work in the private providers are always, you know, dealing with these different types of things and hear these stories again and again, it can be like, ugh. And, you know, it, it's sort of like when you watch the news and everything seems bad and then you feel the sense of numbness or like, what am I supposed to do? I'm just one person. But to be the individual who's like, oh, my God, I just got connected with a Nexus Health and I found out about this resource for you. Like, take your house off of the market. That yeah. is a really good day. And then not just for the person who doesn't have to sell their home, but for the individual who got to be the bearer of such amazing news. We get to work with some really cool people that are doing this because they love serving patients. They love making a difference. So you're absolutely right.
Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Unfortunately, we are at the end of our half hour today. It's been wonderful learning your story, the Nexus Health story, and of course, the positive impact that you and your platform and your technology is able to have in the lives of patients and their providers. Um, thank you very much, and we wish you nothing but success in the future. Thanks so much for having me. This has been fun. Yeah, hang on just one minute before we go off air. Before we do, I would like to remind uh, our viewers that we do have our recap show on Monday morning. We're going to talk about Joe's shows and the other two shows from this week, our opinions, and give you that little fun recap of how that went down. And of course, introduce next week's shows. We've got two coming up on both Tuesday and Wednesday um, with Yellow AI as well as Paddle, right? We'll be talking about the evolution of conversational AI and payments and billings and choosing financial stacks that work for SaaS. So don't miss it. Monday, 10 o'clock a.m. Pacific, right here in Dojo Live. Thank you, Joe. See you guys. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.